Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Esther. We're in the seventh chapter. We've been following King Ahasuerus. Hey, Subi, how are you this morning? You were not there just a second ago. I followed the king, Ahasuerus, and he's got a chief of staff, number two most powerful guy in the world, and his name is Haman. And Haman's got everything in the world except he does not have the worship of God's people. And he sees that in Mordecai. Mordecai is part of the king's staff. He sits at the gate. Haman knows that he's a Jew. And the Jews don't worship leaders. And so he, he wants to get rid of Mordecai. So he goes to the king. He doesn't tell the king that he's eliminating the Jews. He just says, there's a group of people in the kingdom that need to be eliminated. And you need to sign a law to get rid of them, to exterminate them. And so the king signs a law without knowing that it's the Jewish people that he's eliminated. Why do I say that? And last week we looked at that in chapter 6, uh, that yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't know that. Because why? Because he had a sleepless night and he's going to honor Mordecai the Jew. It clearly says that he, he knew that Mordecai the Jew had preserved his life and he's going to honor him on his horse and with the, uh, with the, with the crown and with the royal robes. Uh, Haman's in trouble. We knew we could see that from last week. But Haman, the henchman, has moved to have the Jewish people eliminated. And the king didn't know that. Esther's a Jew. Haman did not know that Esther was a Jew. He's going to find that out in chapter 6. He, he's in desperate trouble. But here's the thing, he waited too long to, to make things right. Now, the title of the message this morning was given by my assistant pastor, Matthew Roman. Uh, Matthew and his family moved down to the Atlanta, Georgia area. Uh, Matthew, I don't know, Matthew tunes into the early service. How you doing, Matthew? And <clears throat> then goes to his church down there in Atlanta. And uh, Matthew has been sending me uh, tidbits, verses, uh, sermon helps, uh, some things that he wants included along the way. And this week he gave, the, he, he gave me a, a word and he said, Pastor, it's a boomerang. Uh, Naaman's, Haman's trying to kill the children of Israel and that weapon's going to come back and whack him in the head, literally. Uh, he's going to be hanged on his gallows that he prepared uh, for Mordecai, it's a boomerang, Pastor. And I said, Matthew, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that the title of the message for Sunday morning, boomerang. And so he's pretty excited about that. Uh, and that comes from, uh, again, my friend Matthew Roman. Matthew also gave this verse. I this was in the bulletin last week, uh, but again, Matthew was listening, and I didn't mention that from uh, the pulpit. And so he wants you, to, he wants to make sure. That you know there's a verse in Proverbs, the 26th chapter, the 26th verse that says, whose hatred, this describes Haman, whose hatred is covered by deceit. His wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation who diggeth a pit shall fall therein. He that rolleth a stone it shall return upon him. And that's a good verse that describes the boomerang effect that Haman is going to experience. 
We're in chapter 7. We're at the first verse. And the Bible says, So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen. Uh, what had happened last week? Uh, well, the king had a sleepless night. He came. Uh, uh, read me the, the chronicles of the kings of Persia. They just happened uh, to turn to that spot in that passage where in the history that Mordecai had uh, revealed the plot to kill the king. And so they said Mordecai the Jew had revealed a plot uh, from Bigtha and, uh, to, uh, to kill the king. And they stopped. And the king said, what was done? What was done? I mean, this guy, tried, this guy saved my life. What was done to him? And they said, nothing. Nothing was done. <gasps> oh, the king is mortified that some, because Persian kings were famous for honoring those who had done something good for them because they wanted others to be motivated to preserve the life of the king. Nothing? Nothing was done for this? He, he just beside himself. He doesn't even know what to think and how to process that. And at that moment, you believe in coincidences. There's a lot of coincidences in chapter in chapter six. At that moment, Haman, who has had a sleepless night, comes in because they're building a gallows in his backyard, a 75 feet tall, 50 cubits tall, uh, which is again, we mentioned this is 28 feet from this floor to the peak of the ceiling. So twice the height of the ceiling plus another 15 feet, uh, uh, 15, 16, 17 feet uh, to get to your 75, if my math is, is close. That's uh, just a long ways up. And so he's making a statement in a city where the normal everyday building is about is two stories. He's built a gallows that is seven stories high. Five stories above anything that is there. And he did it in one night in his backyard. Now, you come out of your house and you look and go, what is that? Well, that's a gallows. What are they going to do? They're going to hang Mordecai the Jew on it. Why? Uh, Haman said in a statement, I'm not a man to be messed with. I'm not a man to be messed with. The king says, hey, uh, uh, who, what, who's honored Mordecai? Who's out, in, who's, out in the, who's out in the court? And they say, well, Haman's out there. Well, Haman's out there because he wants Mordecai hung first thing in the morning so he can enjoy the, the party with Esther in the evening. And the king says, send him in, send him in. And so they bring Mordecai, hey, uh, they bring Haman in. Hey, king wants to see you. Oh, he comes to watch, watch him in. Hey, king, what do you need? Uh, listen, I have a question. What should be done to the man that the king delighteth to honor? And we saw in chapter 6 where Haman said, who, who is there in the world that the king would delight to honor more than myself? So let's put him on the king's horse with the king's robe, with the king's crown. What does that reveal about Haman? It would say to me, this guy wants my job. This guy wants to be king. This guy can see himself as king. And so he's thinking of all the things that he would like to have. And he puts that out there and the king says, I like that. That's a great idea. Let's do it. Uh, let's do it to Mordecai the Jew. You go get the horse. You, you put the crown on his head. You put the robes on his head. And you lead him through the city shouting, this is what is done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. It's all chapter 6. Haman goes home covering his head in shame that he has been humiliated 
And he says to his family, I had to honor Mordecai the Jew today. I went in to have him hang. And uh, they said, boy, if uh, Mordecai is a Jew and the king's honoring him today, you, you are in a bad position. You're in a bad position. Haman's trying to process this. Look at chapter 6, verse 14. And while they were yet talking with his family, with him, came the king's chamberlains and hastened to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. And let's pray. Father, I pray uh, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us understand your word, that we'd be encouraged that there are no coincidences. And though things may look desperate, they may appear beyond hope. Uh, We trust in you. Uh, Father, for uh, that person uh, who is in the world and they are motivated uh, by the uh, manifestations of Haman, uh, may they be convicted uh, that those things aren't going to end well for the person who is at war against God and come to you in repentance and faith. I pray that you would meet every need in the room today. Again, we meet in vain unless the Holy Spirit does an eternal work. We ask you to do that. Only you can do. And we'll give you the praise and honor and glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. It said, a survey that came out this week said, 73% of Christians say that the Bible has no influence on their life when it comes to how we should be, what our approach should be to Israel. 73% of Christians said the Bible has no influence on that. 25% of Christians said they look to the Bible in determining the responses that we should have to Israel. Uh, Matthew is one of those 25 percenters, and I'm glad for Matthew Roman. Uh, he looks to God's word for direction, came with to us with Proverbs chapter 26. Uh, what, what do people, what do, what do the 73% of Christians go to? Their number one source for determining how they should respond to Israel is the media. That's just kind of interesting. That almost just takes your breath away uh, to try to explain uh, the rationale for that. But Christians say, my number one source for determining my, my attitude towards Israel is uh, what I hear on the media. <clears throat> uh, number two was family and friends. Number three was their personal experience. Number four, they let their church decide. Uh, number five, they let their leaders decide. Uh, number six, they let their teachers decide. And uh, number seven, they let the Palestinians decide. Which is kind of interesting. Overnight, along uh, the uh, uh, chain bridge, uh, the uh, secretary of... I don't even. I don't. I can't even remember. Uh, there, there are a big Palestinian group out there that are protesting. Uh, Secretary of State uh, protesting outside of his his home, his residence, uh, upset about uh, America's dealings uh, with what's going on in Israel. <clears throat> People look to them to figure out what they're. But, but Christians, but but not God's word. In in Esther, we have that's a Haman response. Haman is going by his personal experience. His history, 
uh, the media, and he's doing everything but going by God's word. Because he wants to eliminate anything that resembles a God. And so he, uh, he goes in uh, to this banquet. He'd been summoned, so the king and Haman came to the banquet with, with Esther, the queen. Uh, you get into verse 2, the king, he, he's had a sleepless night. Why? Because Esther has got something on her heart and she hasn't told him what it is. And that bothered him as it bothers any, it would bother any man. And so he's not going in to eat. He's not going in to drink. He's going in with one thing on his mind. Esther, before we get this started, I want to know what you want. And so he says, uh, verse 2, And the king said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. Again, this, is a, this will be three times that the king has uttered this phrase to Esther. You tell me what you want. I'll, I'll do it. I just want to know, what, what do you want? Tell me. Up to half of the kingdom was a way to say, I'll, t- I'll give you anything you want within reason. Within reason. Then Esther, verse 3, then Esther the queen answered and said, If I had found favor. It's an interesting phrase, interesting choice of words. We're going to come back to that in about 15 minutes. You might want to highlight that word in your Bible. If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition. Don't kill me. Excuse me? The king is flummoxed. I mean, he is just beside himself. Be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen or bondwomen, I had held my tongue. Although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. The king is part of it. He is just totally taken back that someone is trying to kill the queen and he has been part of it? I mean, how is that even possible? Verse 5. Then the king of Hazardous answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who? Who is he? And where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And I can see Haman standing there in the room. Have you ever have you ever looked at someone who is just so? And he's having a bad day. He's he's gone, and he's had to lead Mordecai through the streets, and he's had to put him on the king's horse and put the crown on his head. And you know, this is what is done to the man that the king delighted to honor. He goes home and he, he just says to his wife, oh man, you've been humiliated beyond measure. And they come and say, hey, Haman, it's time to go to the banquet. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I just need, to, I need time to, de- de- pro- to, to process. You talk about a guy that's got PTSD. I mean, it's Haman. I mean, he's just beyond himself. They take him in here. He goes into the room. He, his mind is still back in 
I was at home and I was leading uh, Mordecai through the streets and I got this gallows that I want to hang him on. That probably wasn't such a good idea to build that last night. And then the queen says, somebody's trying to take my life. And he's thinking, how, how could I not know that? And you can almost see him standing there going, huh? What? Who? Who would do such a thing? He's clueless. What doesn't he not know? He didn't do his homework. He does not know that Esther is a Jew. He obviously does not know that. And she says, Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. You want to talk about blood draining from your face? You want to talk about being a man with no words to say? What? What? Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the king arising angry. And we'll come back to verse 7 in a minute. He was afraid. But listen, he was afraid too late. He, he came to his senses too late. He realized the gallows was a, was a bad idea too late. He, he understood that he needed an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, too late. What is he doing? I mean, he's digging. He, he's digging a grave. He thinks he's digging a grave for Mordecai. But he's digging his own grave. In chapter 3, we saw that Haman had a history of hatred. He had no handle on honor. He never tolerated opposition. He was a hateful man. Digging a grave with his hatred. Chapter 3, we saw that he was an angry man. He let his hatred turn to anger. He had a wild scheme to eliminate just not the guy that he hated, but the whole race of people, the Jewish people. Kill them all. Digging a hole. Got a shovel. Digging a hole. For himself. Chapter 5, we saw that he was, he was prideful. He would never silence his pride. He had a heart without contentment. He brought his family in and said, Hey, let me tell you how successful I am. Let me tell you how much money I have. And let me tell you how much power I have with the king. But there's one thing I don't have, and that's the worship of Haman. Or worship of Mordecai. And I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. <clears throat> Chapter 5, we also saw that he went to his counselors. And he didn't choose them wisely. He chose men that were going to tell him what he wanted to hear. Rather than men that would tell him the truth. They rubber stamped his plans. Chapter 6, we saw his selfishness. He could not contain it. More, 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 more for me. Chapter 7, we see the horror. He did not foresee the horror that was about To engulf his life, he just didn't see it. Shovel after shovel. He is digging a grave. But for who, for whom is he digging the grave? He's digging it for himself. He just doesn't see it. So here's the question this morning. Do you see it? Angry? Hateful? Spiteful? I'll get them. 
I'll do a prank on them. I'll get their stuff. I'll trip them when they're walking down the hallway. I'll walk up behind them and slam them. There's a lot of that going on today. Sucker punch them till they fall, till an old man falls on the ground. I'll just, I'm just, they're just mean and hateful and hatred. Your hatred does not destroy the person that is directed towards. Hatred destroys the host. Say, preacher, what does that mean? You have hatred in your heart for somebody, it will destroy you. You will be a man that nobody wants to be around. You'll be a man that nobody, that they may say, wow, oh yeah, oh good. But behind their back, when you walk out of the room, they say, man, not messing with that guy. He's got an anger problem. They're not going to be your friend. They're going to keep you at arm's length because they see you're, you're going to destroy. Proverbs says, don't go with an angry man. Don't have an angry man as your friend. Don't go with them. Digging their own grave, your anger will hurt you. Are you digging a grave today? Australia is digging a grave today. Australia, the nation. Australia just passed a law uh, in 2021. So it's been two years. It's being enforced today. And this is the law. The Suppression Practices Prohibition Act of 2021. The Suppression Practices Prohibition Act of 2021. What is that? It prohibits churches and pastors and Sunday school teachers and Christians for pray, from praying for the salvation, for the healing of a homosexual or a, a pedophile. It is the, again, it is the Suppression Practices Prohibition Act. You can't pray for someone to be healed. You can't pray for someone. I'm just reading what it said. You can't pray for someone to change. You can't pray for them to stay the way they are and just be abstinent or, or celebrate. You can't pray for that. It is, you can't pray for them to get right with God and to walk according to God's word. It is against the law now in Australia. If you are a Christian that prays for someone who is engaged in a harmful, hurtful, destructive, anti-God, anti-Bible lifestyle, you can be jailed for five to ten years in prison for praying for someone to walk according to God's word. In Australia. Now, if you don't think that's coming to America, that that's not the push of the Haman types of this world to eliminate not just, not just to be accepted. They, they want opposition eliminated. Mordecai is not content with just to have uh, Haman's not content just to have Mordecai silenced. He wants Mordecai eliminated, removed from the face of this earth, rem, rem, placed in a ground. And, that, and thus it is with the enemies of God. But what he does not see is that his, he's blind. 
His pride, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, his, his pride has blinded him to the fact that uh, somebody do a survey for me and this is all he had to say because he's the number two most powerful guy in the world. Somebody do a survey for me. Cool. Let's do a census of the king's staff and find out who might be a Jew, who this might, who, who might be affected by this law. He didn't do that. Why? Because he let his hatred blind his eyes. And if that would have come back and said, well, Esther is a Jew, <laughs> then he would have been able to say, okay, this is not a good plan. But he allowed his hatred, his pride to blind him. Uh, verse 3 to 5 of chapter 7. He allowed, his, he allowed evil to surprise him. You gotta be careful. I, if I and I don't go to ATM very often, uh, a Mrs. Bishop, I don't know that she'd give me the code uh, that goes along with the ATM card. Uh, but it, 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 when I go someplace at night, before I get out of my car and unlock the doors, I, I drive. I would drive around the building to see who's lurking in the shadows, and I would. And when I get out of my car. Before I shut the door, I'd look to see who might be walking up my direction. Because there are some crazy people in the world today. I mean, we see it on the news every day. Somebody is a victim. I just don't want to be the next one, right? And so I'm going to watch. When I get out of the car at the gas station and it's light out, I do the same thing. At night, I open up the door. I look around, see who's here. Before I get my wallet out, before I get my credit card out, say, what are you planning to do? I, I plan on bailing. What would you do? I'd get in the car and I'd drive away. I, don't, I want to be the next victim. Uh, Haman didn't do that. He, he allowed evil to surprise him. He allowed petty grievances, verse 6 and 7, to distract him. But the most important thing that he failed to do. He failed to come to God. He delayed. He delayed repentance until it was simply too late. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says this, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap, Esther, Mordecai, we shall reap if we faint not. <clears throat> and as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. It was, this was shared with me just recently uh, by Dr. Oliver. And she said uh, that she had read uh, this article. 53% of U.S. pastors in, I believe, the United States, 53% of U.S. pastors have a desire to quit. That's an astounding figure. And that is up from 20, from 37% just two years ago. 
In 2021, after COVID, you had expected that. 37% of pastors behind the pulpit said, you know, I'm just done, done with this. I want to quit. But here we are two years later. Things have uh, lightened up. We can go around, do, and live, and, and breathe. And now it's 53%. I'm just reminded of that. Be not weary in well-doing, Esther. Be not weary in well-doing, Mordecai. Mordecai, where is he? He's at the king's gate. Haman goes out and says, hey, King Delisha, honor you, going to put you on the horse, going to put the robe on you, going to put the crown on your head, I'm going to lead you through the streets, I'm going to uh, yell, this is what the, the, the done to the, to the man that the king desires to honor. And uh, at, when they got done, Haman went home with a bag over his head, covered his face. Mordecai went back to work. He went back to the gate. He went back to the court. He went back to serving the king. What is that? That's a man who understands, don't be wearing well-doing. Due season, you reap. When is due season? Well, if you planted a 120-day cord, I can tell you that's going to be in 120 days. If you planted 90-day corn, I can tell you that's going to be in 90 days. Michigan, we plant 90-day corn because the growing season is so short. If you're here in this area, you're probably planting 120-day corn. Or south of here. Your yields are higher. Uh, you've got a longer growing season. I can tell you that. If you're planting winter wheat I can, and you're in Michigan, I can tell you your harvest is going to be about the first week of August. If you're planting winter wheat in our area, your harvest is going to be about the second week of June. But Christian, I can't tell you with that kind of predictability when your harvest is going to be in spiritual things. But I can tell you what God's Word says. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. So here's a little bit of farm wisdom for Sunday morning, January 28, 2024. You will reap what you sow. You will reap later than you sow. But know this. You will reap more than you sow. You better be careful what you're sowing. Mordecai and Esther are sowing in righteousness. And they're going to reap more than what they sowed in righteousness. And we'll see that in the next couple of weeks. Haman is sowing in anger and bitterness and hatred. And he's going to reap more than he sowed. Later than he sowed. Those farming principles apply to every single individual, whether or not you appreciate them, understand them. For whatsoever a man soweth, Galatians, that shall he also reap. And you want to be angry, you want to be hateful, you want to be spiteful, you're going to reap that. You want to follow Christ, trust Christ, obey God, obey God's Word, come to God for salvation, you're going to reap throughout all eternity. But you hear me, you want to be a Haman, you reject God, you reject God's salvation, you reject God's truth, you walk your own way, do your own thing, you're going to reap that for all eternity. I, I cannot, and you cannot, stop the principle of sowing and reaping. And the spiritual reaping or the reaping of a life 
that has rejected Christ is eternal. France is reaping a harvest. Conquered. French Christians, quote, unquote, Catholic surrender was what the name of the article was. Uh, November of last year, the Church of the Holy Trinity in Paris converted to a, a Islamic mosque. Islam came in. I don't know if they purchased it or just took possession of it or if it was gifted to them. I don't, I don't know the real estate transaction part of it. But I know that it is now in control of the Muslims. The Muslims came in. They had a service where they, uh, they, they, they sing songs and, and do some chants. And they christen that Catholic building as a mosque. That was in November. This month, January 2024, St. Michael's Church in Froschwiller was converted uh, to a Muslim mosque. Uh, in February, this is scheduled to be done, St. Bonaventure Basilica of Lyon will be converted to a Muslim mosque in February. Notre Dame de Esperance Church of St. Nazar. I should have had you up here reading these because my French is not good. And if you know French, you know that. Is going to be converted to a Muslim mosque in May of this year. St. Madeleine in Nantes is going to be, in June, is going to be converted. And this is what they say. This is what the chant is. Allah is the greatest. I bear witness that there is no other God but Allah. I bear witness that that, uh, Muhammad is a messenger of Allah. And in doing that, they christen that building as a Muslim mosque. And why is that happening in France today? Because in the world today, we have made enemies of those who would would desire or have a a desire to follow uh, the word of God, and we have embraced the Hamans of this world. The, the the Muslim people desire to destroy the Jewish people, to eliminate them from the face of the earth, from the river to the sea, to wipe them off. And, and it, it would appear that they're being successful. In France today, there are three practicing Muslims to every one practicing Catholic, according to the article. France has an Islamic future. I, I got news for you. France is an, is, an, is, an, is an Islamic nation today. Color it in on the map. I said, Preacher, where does that leave Esther? It leaves her within the umbrella of God's protection. Where does that lead Mordecai? At the king's gate, serving the king, doing what he's supposed to do. Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, the Hamans of this world, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger. And forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Interesting. I sat down uh, late Thursday night and I thought, you know, I wonder what a people who preach on Esther 7 give for titles. To Esther 7. I gave it the title Boomerang, right? Boomerang. Haman coming back to get you. Here's some of the titles. Reversal. 
Another title, Hanging Haman. That's pretty good. Uh, number three, Caught in Your Own Snare. This one, I think, came from Gomer Pyle. Surprise, surprise, surprise was the title of that one. <clears throat> but it should be no surprise to us. What is it? Verse, verse 8. <clears throat> uh, so, uh, let's read verse 7. The king arising from the banquet of Orion, in his wrath, went in the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life. Too late. To Esther, the queen. Too late. For he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. I'm gonna, that's another phrase you should highlight. We'll talk about that again in just a second. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed whereupon Esther was. Then the king said, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? And the, as the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. He's not the number two most powerful man in the world anymore. And Harbona. One of the king's chamberlers said before the king, Behold, the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman hath made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. I say that, Behold, because again, it's seven stories high. In a place where most, most buildings were two stories. And no matter where you were, you could see it. Behold, there it is. And the king could say, ha, is that why that's there? Hang them. Hang them thereon. Why? So we, we talked about this. And in just the next moment, I just want to share this with you. The, the Esther said, if I have found favor. And when Haman said, I know that he could sense that evil was determined against him. What is, what is going on? King Hasaharis was a brutal man. Here's what he did to his friends. Pythias, Pythias the Lydian, was a friend. He had helped the king, King Ahasuerus, in his, uh, in, his, uh, in his quest to conquer other nations. He had given his time and he had given money. And so he wanted his five sons... To have a deferral. To, to be excused from serving in the king's military. So he went to the king who was a friend. A king whom he had helped. And he said, King, I want my sons not to have to serve in the military. And King Ahasuerus was so incensed. By enraged by the fact that this guy wanted a pass for his five sons. That he had the five sons cut in half. He had the bottom half put on this side and the top half put on this side. He had the five sons lined up and he forced his armies to march between the two to say to them, this is what is done to the guy that wants a deferral. That's the kind of guy that King Ahasuerus was. That's why Esther was afraid to come to him. That's why she wanted the people to fast and pray. That's why she said, if I have found favor in thy sight. And that's why Haman said, I think he's determined evil against me. And this is not going to end well. I'll just say, it's not going to end well. If you've made God your enemy, if you've rejected God's salvation, and if you reject God's word. Father, I thank you for the time that you have given to us this morning. And I pray 
that we would, uh, those, those that know Christ, they would not be weary in well-doing. And those who have rejected you would, would come to you uh, before their pleas are, are too late. Too late. With every head bowed, you're a Christian here this morning, uh, going through a battle, and it's, it's hard to see how this is. Listen, sowing and reaping applies. Now, preacher, I'm, I'm praying, I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I need your prayer this morning. God would help me to continue to do the right thing. I sow a righteous harvest. Yes, sir? Yes, sir? Yes, ma'am? Okay, wonderful. Good. All right, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for Christian going through a battle. I pray that you'd help them not to be weary in well-doing, knowing that in due season, due season, they'll reap if they faint not. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you don't know Christ is your Savior. Say, Pastor, I need to be saved. Would you pray for me? Uh, slip your hand up, hold it up. Let me pray for you. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait. Let's stand to our feet. So our heads bowed and eyes closed. The piano playing. The altar is open. Uh, you want to pray? You want me to pray for you? I'll be glad to do that. You want to be saved? I'll be glad to take God's Word and show you what it means to be a Christian and receive that forgiveness before it's too late. Piano's playing. The altar's open.